Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program that features the lives of the saints and reflections on the Sunday readings, along with information on a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Porta. Our program is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our interview segment today, we will feature Father Joe Whitmer. We will also get a glimpse into the life and times of St. Anthony of the Desert, along with reflections on the readings for this second Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more on Wineskins. In our Life Issue segment, Father Jack Lavelle will talk about education. One of the topics of pro-life that many people might not immediately think of is the lack of education. The lack of education has serious effects on everyone, not only people who are undereducated. People who lack education have trouble getting ahead in life, have worse health, and are poorer than well-educated individuals. Major effects of the lack of education include poor health, a lack of voice in our world, a shorter lifespan, unemployment, exploitation, including gender inequality. There are about 10 points that we need to look at as we discuss the lack of education. First, poor health. Healthcare of the general population is a major reason education is important. Primary education is important for learning about personal health and hygiene. Education is how health professionals and governments communicate important information to society. Poor health and hygiene is a serious issue in societies where large amounts of the population lack an education. Simply educating all girls to a secondary school level would decrease worldwide deaths from pneumonia, diarrhea, and malaria by nearly half. That's just one example of how a lack of education affects health. Another issue is the lack of a voice. People who are undereducated do not have the skills or confidence to speak up for themselves. This is part of the reason why many women remain oppressed in the developing world. Girls who are undereducated are marrying young, often still as children, and forced into domestic chores rather than education. These women find it very hard to speak up about their own situation and find ways to improve their lives. They can't find jobs, are reliant on their husband's incomes, and often can't read or write, which prevents them from self-education. Another issue is a shorter lifespan. Less educated people don't live as long as more educated individuals. The International Monetary Fund's Fiscal Monitor Report shows that according to their study, less educated men statistically live between 4 and 14 years less than their well-educated counterparts. According to the IMF, this shortened lifespan for the poor has a drag effect on national productivity. So in effect, we all suffer when the poor get sick and die. Another issue is the poverty trap. This is the inability to escape poverty due to the lack of resources. Children of poorer people are more likely to be poor themselves. This is often known as the intergenerational poverty trap. One of the only ways to escape the poverty trap is through education. If you're not educated, you are not likely to escape. Another issue is certainly unemployment. Everywhere in the world, jobs are given out to the most qualified people. Educational credentials are one major way in which employers choose between job applicants. If you don't have that high school diploma or university degree, chances are you'll drop to the bottom of the pile. Here are just a few facts. 83% of people with a university degree are employed. 74% of people with an upper secondary or non-university post-secondary education are employed. 
and only 56% of people without a high school education are employed. Another important issue is the exploitation that can occur. People who are not educated may have to resort to terrible types of work just to survive. In a world of limited jobs, those with an education get the first pickings of the safer and more secure work. Girls in the third world who lack education are some of the most vulnerable. According to recent studies, girls are likely to find themselves doing jobs like prostitution, sweatshop labor, domestic labor, or being married off as child brides. This leads us, of course, to gender inequality. Gender inequality can be a massive barrier to the education of women. Countries where women are less educated continue to perpetuate gender inequalities from one generation to the next. Women who are less educated tend to have babies at a younger age. Each year, a girl is out of school increases national fertility rates by 10%. Women who have children after receiving a secondary school education tend to have healthier children. Recent studies argue that these women's higher levels of education mean they will know how to properly care for their children with regard to their health. Furthermore, women with a lower education are less likely to raise their voices when it comes to political and community issues that affect them. Education is also a space where gender stereotypes are challenged. Much may also lead to the decreased gender equality. So, if girls and boys are educated side by side, such stereotypes may also disintegrate. Another issue is a break of economic growth. Countries that have a more educated population will have more sustainable economic growth over the long term, and those with a less educated population may not achieve such sustainability. This is particularly evident now that we live in a more globalized world. Nations are competing against each other for economic dominance. In a nation where there are more educated individuals, the nation's productivity is higher and its workers are more innovative. The nation attracts higher-paying jobs in growth industries. By contrast, nations that are poor have to attract low-paying industries, such as manufacturing. While many third-world countries can grow their economies rapidly by lowering labor standards and attracting industry, there is a cap on this growth. That's why China is investing so heavily in tech and education. They know that if they want to continue to grow at a rapid rate, they need to transition to the high-paying industries of the future. And finally, the inability to make smart political decisions. If too many people in a society lack the ability to think critically about the big challenges of the future, they won't collectively make smart political decisions. Education is about more than money. We need to educate our society so they can make democratic decisions. A politically uninformed society may lack the knowledge to make these smart decisions, or they might be easily duped into some smooth-talking populist. Perhaps this is why one-sentence slogans tend to win in our political discourse. The logic here is simple. Dumb it down for the dummies. Don't treat them like adults. Don't let them have a voice in what is being decided. Sadly, since poverty, much like a lack of education, is a less specific act against life, it often is not seen as a major factor to be championed. And yet, it causes far greater harm to the sanctity of human life than many hot-button issues. Let us pray for all trapped in a cycle of poverty, and even more importantly, use our voices to stop these sins against human life. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jack Lavelle.
St. Anthony of the Desert was a hermit who lived a life of solitude. To tell us more is Tom Anderson. He is from St. Charles Church in Boardman. The feast in honor of St. Anthony Abbott, who died in the desert of Egypt at the age of 105, has been celebrated on January 17th since the beginning of the 5th century in the Syriac, Coptic, and Byzantine liturgies. The life of Anthony was written by St. Athanasius shortly after the death of this saintly hermit. Not only did it make St. Anthony known, but it contributed to the conversion of many individuals, including St. Augustine and St. Martin. The widespread following of St. Anthony is due in great measure to the fact that the unbloody martyrdom of his long life became a model and exemplar of the Christian's journey to God. At the age of 20, Anthony, an orphan, took to heart the words that were read in his church. If you seek perfection, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. You will then have treasure in heaven. Anthony immediately sold all his goods and contributed the money to the education of his younger sister and other virgins. He then embraced the aesthetical life and had to endure terrifying struggles with the devil and violent temptations of the flesh. He later retired to live among the tombs in the cemetery, which was always considered the habitat of the devil. There the diabolical assaults continued and the devil often appeared to him in terrifying forms. But Anthony was also consoled by a vision of the Lord. Anthony's next move was to the desert to fight the devil in his own stronghold. And once again, he emerged victorious. By this time, his manner of life had attracted so many followers that he was considered the father of monastic life. Meanwhile, Anthony had developed an intense desire for martyrdom. So he left his seclusion and went to Alexandria, where the Christians were being persecuted. He was spared, however, so he returned to an even more remote part of the desert. His seclusion was interrupted again in 312, when he returned to Alexandria to combat the Arian heresy, after which he resumed his solitary life in the desert, where he died in 356. The spiritual message of Anthony is contained in the three prayers and two antiphons of the Mass for this day. The communion antiphon recalls the cost of the following of Christ based on trust in the word of the Lord. The entrance antiphon refers to Anthony's sojourn in the desert. In the opening prayer of the Mass, we ask that we may learn to deny ourselves and to love God above all things. The prayer over the gifts continues the same theme. May no earthly attractions keep us from loving you. The prayer after communion reminds us that in this life we are engaged in a struggle with evil. But as God helps St. Anthony conquer the power of darkness, he will also assist us if we enter the spiritual desert of self-renunciation. Then, like St. Anthony, we shall be called the friend of God. For Wineskins, I'm Tom Anderson. With me is Father Joe Whitmer, who is a priest of the Diocese of Youngstown. Welcome to our show. Thank you, Father Court. We are coming up on the heels of 
the annual week of prayer for Christian unity, something that's near and dear to your heart and my heart. And ecumenical relations and interfaith affairs are really crucial for us as people of God. What is involved in this week of prayer for Christian unity that the folks that are with us should be aware of? The week of prayer for Christian unity in its original form was first held in 1908. Mm. So this will be the 116th year it's been observed. Mm -hmm. But it was started by a group, a religious order of Franciscans in the Episcopal Church. Mm. They had a feeling that there should be more unity than there was. And he tried to bring that about and his religious order. And there was another religious order of women and both found themselves in Garrison, New York and are still there. In 1909, the year after the first week of prayer, they found themselves becoming affiliated with the Roman Church. It was given in short order the blessing of the Catholic Church, and the week of prayer for Christian unity was made official by a meeting about 100 years ago by the Conference of Bishops. Let's talk about the theme for this year, because that changes annually. This year, the theme should be pretty recognizable to all of us who are Christians. And what's that theme this year? Well, it's two phrases from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting, as you were mentioning that, and you cited Luke 10. We know that that is where the lawyer approaches Jesus to ask him, what are the greatest laws of the commandment? What's the greatest law in the commandment? But their roots really go back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and that's where Jesus takes these two great commandments and makes them one. So what does that say about how important it is for us to go back to the basics when we're talking about what is basic, for lack of a better word, to who we are as Christian people? Your reference there is certainly something that does strike at the heart of the gospel and, uh, and the practice of the church from the beginning. And it's still been energetic wherever it's practiced. Mm -hmm. Now, getting it practiced continually and uh, in different places, that continues to be the challenge. Now, in your experience, I kind of look back on my earlier years as a priest. When the week of prayer for Christian unity came around, we did what we called pulpit exchanges with local Christian churches. Do those things still go on today? Not too many places. Mm -hmm. There's different attitudes toward affirmation of those who do that, mm -hmm. but certainly trying to be able to preach the gospel to people who recognize their own faith there is important. So whether it's done in a liturgy or whether it's in an adult study group, that's the challenge and opportunity that still presents itself. And what, for parishes today, what can they do to promote and also to ensure that their congregations are open to people of other faith, Christian faith traditions? Well, certainly, as I mentioned, adult education with some focus on experience of the faith in other religions, other Christian religions especially, to invite people to talk, to be willing to go when invited to talk to others, and to 
hopefully rejoice that there's so much that we have in common. It may indeed uh, lead us to say what's left shouldn't be church dividing. Let's briefly remind the folks that are with us those ecumenical relations that the Diocese of Youngstown is involved with now that really promote Christian unity. Well, certainly the Mahoning Valley Association of Churches would be the biggest one locally. It's predominantly Mahoning County, Trumbull, and Columbiana. And they try to do what they can to, again, facilitate and give expression to the unity we seek. Mm -hmm. Events that occur annually is the Crop Walk locally, sponsored by Church World Service, and occurs in early October. We have in now usually been May, we call it Tastes of the Faith, Mm -hmm. inviting congregations from not only different Christian groups, but also other religions found locally to volunteer to bring 50 little tidbits of uh, food, uh, perhaps Mm -hmm. from their tradition or at least their best Mm -hmm. cooks, Mm and bring it and make people come and they have the opportunity to taste that and hopefully sit at tables, Mm -hmm. not just with people from their own congregation, but Mm -hmm. with others and have something to meet and chat, become acquainted with each other. Mm -hmm. Also, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, the mayor's breakfast, that's M-A-Y-O-R-S apostrophe, and a number of mayors and other expressions. We've had this past November a a judge being the speaker at that event. And that's, again, with different tables and different opportunities to chat before and after. One finds a, a growing expression of familiarity and congeniality. This has been going on for well over 100 years, the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity. For some people, that's a new thing because Mm -hmm. they really have never experienced other Christian denominations or coming together like that. For the folks that haven't, what would you encourage them to do in particular during this coming week? I think with our experience within the diocese of so many priests aren't where they used to be even a year or two ago, Mm -hmm that maybe they'll bring their ecumenical experience and interest to bear in their new location. And perhaps uh, parish councils will bring that up. Maybe you won't get all the churches in the area to come together, but if two or three did, it'd be a great beginning. And isn't that how it starts? It starts small and then it burgeons and grows and matures. And that's certainly how ecumenical relations and Interfaith Attitudes has grown here in our diocesan church. True. And thank you, Father Joe Whitmer, longtime ecumenical officer for the diocese, for your constant support of ecumenical affairs. And we thank you for your support of our local diocesan approach to that as well. Thank you. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wondering what happened to timely Catholic news in the Diocese of Youngstown? It's at catholicecho.org. There you'll find recent stories about Catholic life in all six counties of the Diocese of Youngstown, plus recent videos, podcasts, and even national and global news. You'll find it all at catholicecho.org under the News tab. Sign up for the email newsletter while you're there to have Catholic news delivered to your inbox.
By the time we can walk, each of us yearns for the joy that comes from being able to do for ourselves. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Church World Service. Our song today is from the CD entitled, In His Presence. It is by the Kellenberg Memorial High School Choir. Our scripture reflections for this second Sunday in Ordinary Time will be done by Monsignor John Zura. He is pastor of St. Luke Church and St. Charles Church, both in Boardman. We begin Ordinary Time on this, the second Sunday of the year. The three sacred scripture readings begin with 1 Samuel. The prophet Samuel played a very important role in the history of Israel. Today, we hear the story of his call by God. 
Our second reading from 1 Corinthians, we're reminded that Paul tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that we must use them not for sin, but for the glory of God. And in our gospel reading, St. John reminds us here that each and every one of us has an account, that we're called to be disciples. Once again, John reminds each and every one of us to come and see. Even though we as church celebrate the year of Mark, we're reminded in today's reading from John the very respect of the old liturgical theme of celebrating the different epiphanies or the manifestations of Jesus. John shows us a gradual recommendation of who Jesus is through the testimony of John the Baptist and the confession of the first disciples. Here John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God, Andrew calls him the Messiah. The main theme of our readings, however, is that of call and response. In the first reading, we see the call of Samuel, who plays a big part in building up Israel. His call marks the beginning of a new era. It is through him that Israel got their first king. This paves the way for our gospel reading of the call of the first disciples, Andrew, John, and Peter. The call of Peter is the highlight because of the important role he plays in the first community. In both of these readings, we're dealing with a unique and specific call, what is more commonly called a vocation. So as we move through this week, each time we celebrate the Eucharist, we have an opportunity to encounter the Lord. Let us prepare our minds and hearts for this encounter. For Wineskins, I am Monsignor John Zura. When God calls us, we must have courage, for the call of God may radically change the direction of our lives. When God calls, listen, obey Him. If when we place our trust in Him, God will always give us great gifts, greater than we have ever dreamed or imagined. Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. Wineskins is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, thanking you for being with us. Have a blessed Sunday. We of Wineskins want to encourage all of our listeners to pray for Christian unity that all may be one. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, 
one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to PovertyUSA.org today because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.